0: From the palmetto swamps to the piney woods to the oak flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter podcast.
1: You're listening to the Louisiana Bow Hunter Podcast, presented by Scree Gear Performance Hunting Apparel, Performance Layering Systems, and extremely excited to announce their brand new product that just dropped this week. A lot of people have been asking about this product, and it's really big in the whitetail world, and that is a jacket and bib combo they're calling it the guardian bib and jacket and i cannot wait mine is on the way i've heard from a lot of people since that information went out and they're excited about it too i know a lot of guys um you know bibs have been a kind of a staple in the tree stand hunter whitetail world for a lot of different reasons and a lot of people have asked about it they've created it i think it's going to be an awesome product check them out Follow them on social media, YouTube, and uh, find out more about all their products and shop online at com. So I am, um, we, well we are all just getting home from a week-long Midwestern rut tour trip and I have Kyler with me as well as David O'Donnell and David is a, a big part of what we're doing at Louisiana Bowhunter and David, I'm I'm glad to finally have you on here. How you doing?
2: I'm doing all right, buddy. Thank y'all for having me here.
1: So uh, Kyler and David uh, kind of struck up a friendship and, and working relationship this year. And David, you're kind of tell everybody what you're doing for Louisiana Bowhunter now.
2: So I'm handling all the fulfillment of you know both in retail and the direct consumer sales. Um, I'm the guy that's boxing your hats up, sending them out, and I'm the one that's stocking up our dealers.
1: What do you? Uh, I mean, as far as our retail locations, I know you talk to a lot of retailers, and uh, you know what is what? What do you see out there? You know, Kyler and I we're on the podcast. We're obviously on social media and stuff like that. But you know, what do you see in the stores when you talk to people about 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 the brand? What are people saying? You know, what's the, what's the pulse of things?
2: It's definitely a growing brand, man. People are. Um kind of taking it and running with it you know you guys can see it also on our our social media we're getting a lot of a lot of people posting pictures themselves with our gear on and uh it's just kind of it's exciting to be a part of this we're kind of steamrolling ahead you know what i mean we uh we had a couple little hiccups this year where we ran out of some product but we got them back pretty quick and got back on a train with it
1: that's awesome i'm i'm glad to have you doing what you're doing i, I think it's great for the brand it, it it's something that we um want you know obviously want people to be able to enjoy Louisiana bow hunter and support the brand rep the brand and want to get it out there to as many people, so if you guys run into David, you know he can uh if there's stores and there's locations that you'd like to see our gear in, David is the guy. Our guests every week are brought to you by our friend Brian Chamberlain, the Chamberlain lending team with movement mortgage, and if you're in need of a residential loan primary or secondary vacation investment, cash out, rate reduction, renovation for add-ons, any of these kind of needs, contact Brian, nobody does better, low credit scores, potentially 0% down, and the movement mortgage, 42% of their profits go towards charitable organizations through the movement foundation, and that sets them apart Brian is licensed in Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, NMLS number 114586, and Movement Mortgage is an Equal Housing Opportunity Lender, NMLS ID number 39179. David and Kyler, you you guys, y'all hunted together, right, Oklahoma? That's
0: right.
1: So, I'm just going to turn this one, I'm going to turn the first part, like, so, you know, this this whole episode right here is just kind of, um it's 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 kind of just centered around us kind of telling some stories about bow hunting you know i mean we all back home and love the fact that i know i I always love the fact that when i leave the midwest every year and i head back home i've got a whole season i've got the best part of the season still in front of me and that's kind of the thing about hunting in the midwest is as awesome as it is it's not just over for us when we leave it's pretty much over for them too as far as the exciting bow hunting part so we're all coming back home but i know we had some great trips y'all had some success i want to just kind of turn this part of it over and, and kind of hear from you guys about what's it like hunting in oklahoma and kind of some stories about how y'all's hunt went
0: all right i'll i'll uh, i'll kick us off lock you can go last because you definitely have the best uh the best uh back-to-back success stories yeah. <clears throat> between the three of us but um so, uh, first thing I'll say is that David learned a fast lesson that if you invite me to something, I will show up, um, and I will, <laughs> I will go, um, and, uh, you better mean it if you, uh, invite me along, but, um, David and, uh, his buddy Hunter Foray had, um, a program to do an out-of-state hunt in Oklahoma, um, uh, I don't think I ever really confirmed this with you, David, but I, I would imagine it's because it's a, um, it's a cool state and mainly it's a great deal because you get what's 280 bucks and you get two buck tags, right? Which when you, you know, you're from the South looking for an out of state experience, you're starting to look at uh, Illinois, Kansas, um, uh, Missouri, Arkansas, et cetera, Missouri, is with about 275 range and you get two bucks, but I don't think
1: you only get one archery.
0: archery season. Yeah. yeah. Only one archery season. Um, and then you've got Illinois 500 for one buck. Um, Kansas is a lottery um, Arkansas. We don't ever really talk about Arkansas very often. I feel like we all drive past that um, a lot of yeah. times, but uh, then you got Iowa, which is like five years of preference points. So you don't have a whole lot of Midwest States left and then you get to Oklahoma, it's and it's a really good value comparatively. But um, so they had a great program in place. Um, like I said in another episode, I didn't ask a whole lot of questions before I agreed, and I started diving into it heavily as the weeks before the trip um, got closer. Um, what was in, – in hindsight, the thing that was most interesting for me about the trip was where I had spent two-and-a-half days scouting and putting cameras out, uh, the week before the trip, we never stepped foot on any of that land at all in any capacity. Um, where, where I spent time hanging cameras and where we actually spent our time in the woods, totally different places. Um, and, uh, I am glad that I did it. I'm, I'm not upset that like I wasted that first trip over or anything like that. That's not how I feel about it, but I, just, uh, I guess the better way to, the, actually the best way to say it is that I nor David got the first shooter buck on camera until the night that we, the night before we left. So they ran for two weeks. I had five cameras out. David had one. I put out six cameras total. We had two weeks of running in these six spots and it was the night before we went home that we finally got a buck on camera that we were like, yeah, I would have, I would have burned a tag on it. Um, so, uh, the other thing that I'll say about that, that I I need to kind of add as an asterisk is that even when we got there and I put cameras or a camera, cause I only moved one camera after we actually arrived to hunt. I put one camera into the area that we ended up hunting the most. And even that camera got no shooters on it at all, had very little um, traffic compared to what we were seeing in person. And so I said this in the past, um, on multiple seasons even, I guess you can't always rely on your cameras to give you a true telling of what's in the area, what's happening. Because we, um, you know, David and I talked extensively about this when we were actually there still. We both had fantastic hunts, um, a lot of action, a lot of deer scene. Um, I only made one hunt, like an afternoon hunt where I didn't see a deer. David saw a deer on every single hunt that he went on. Um, and so, you know, comparing what the camera's showing you to what you're seeing in person is oftentimes a huge difference. So um, I had a great hunt. Um, we... I felt like we were on them from from day two I feel like a lot of times people are spending the first three four five days of a trip trying to get into the deer and then they hunt them hard for two days on a on a, um, a five or seven day trip we kind of got on them on day two and stayed on them for four days even you know at night at dinner talking about like hey we've got to booger this place up by now you know we dragged two deer out of here We've, um, scouted, we've moved, we've moved stands, we've come in on the wrong wind, et cetera, et cetera. It's gotta be, it's gotta go dead any second now and we're go make a hot and see a deer, you know? Um, so it, it was a great trip, man. I, I don't want to say, uh, you know, too much about specifically where we were, um, or anything like that. But, um, as far as the program that they had chosen and what we kind of stuck to, uh, it was a great program and, and I mean, I, I I had a blast. I really appreciate them inviting me.
1: If you're frustrated with your property, the forecast for the season doesn't look too great, or maybe you've just decided it's time to move on and invest in your own property, contact our friend Slade Priest at Southern States Realty a part of the Realtree United Country Hunting Properties Network, the largest network of hunting and recreational real estate experts in America. Nobody in our area sells more, and Slade's not just a realtor. He's not just a real estate agent. He's a passionate outdoorsman that understands what the buyers and sellers need. He knows how to put them together. He knows how to look at a piece of property and put the right people in the right place. Nobody sells more. You've seen him on outdoor TV. You see him on digital media. He spends his life in the outdoors. He's passionate about it, and it comes through in the results. If you're in the market, contact our friend, Slade Priest, the Hunting Land Man. HuntinglandManMs.com. Check out all the new listings that he's posting on a regular basis, some exciting properties. Check them out. HuntinglandManMs.com. You know, something that's interesting that I experienced, just you talking about your cameras, both of the places that I hunted on this trip um, with the guys that I hunted with, both of them made the comment while I was there that the camera information had completely changed, and that was one of the reasons that they knew that the deer were really on their feet, because they become completely unpredictable, and they're just running all over the place looking for does, following does. And the typical sign that they are... The, the you know the food the the feeding areas and the typical trails and stuff that they always get their pictures and and keep up with them they're just not using them on the same patterns even remotely the same patterns and when they all just disappear they're seeing them from tree stands they're seeing them on the yeah. road but they're not getting them on camera that means they're that that that's when they know they should be hunting because they're still there they're just not using the same uh paths and patterns and 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 all that kind of stuff where the cameras are you know where you would typically put a camera they're just all Absolutely.
0: Over we we so um I kind of paint a picture for you. We were going in by boat on a sliver of land that was um uh, that was facing north south and um <clears throat> on the west side of it is cow pasture. On the east side of it is uh uh, uh water. On the north is a um you could call it kind of like grass fields, typical Midwest, like kansas City, oklahoma pasture, if you will, but, but not cut and no animals in it. So grassland. Um, and then on the South side or kind of around the corner was a bit of a a feeder funnel from, um, some private land that, that we feel like a lot of deer were coming off of. And, um, so that's all four sides of it. But in the middle, they were essentially like, Three, there was a left route north and south, a middle route north and south, and a water route, like a lake route north and south. And those deer, they would just come straight down the pipe in the middle. They would mainly favor the water's edge. I think that's just because of the direction of the wind we had most of the time. But they would come straight down the middle of the open woods. And if you went in there in Louisiana or in the south anywhere and you said, "Hmm, where do I need to hang a camera?" You would feel like a fool putting a camera in the middle of the open woods pointing it at nothing. No oak tree, no pinch point, no route, no trail, no nothing. These deer would get just like they would get out of the grass, they would get out of the grass road and they would come straight down the middle of the woods at whatever side of the a sliver of land they entered on. So if they started on the left, they come down the left side. So the middle, come down the middle, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they, once you figured it out and you realized what they were doing, you could, you'd be like, okay, I need to set up like this. But when you get there with a the Southern deer hunters mindset, you're like, hell no, I'm not hunting wide open woods like that. That's ridiculous. Um, but in the Midwest, apparently that's what they do. Um, also, <laughs> there's something else that I, I need to say. And David warned me about this. Um, and uh, I, I don't really remember this as much last year in Illinois, but a little bit, I do. They have um, a type of Oak tree there that is pretty much unbreakable. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you can't, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? a black Jack Oak. Okay. Well, and, and so you, <laughs> you don't, cut a blackjacko, no, you, you negotiate with it temporarily. Yeah. Okay. You find yourself folding a limb back. You're like, you're like, okay, listen, I just need to fold it. Just put you over here for like three hours. Is that okay? And you fold that limb back and you tuck it behind something else. And you're like, listen, once I'm gone, you can go back to where you were. I know you're not going to let me cut you and you're going to poke and push the hell out of me if I try to do anything else. But, like, if you could just be out of the way for a couple hours, that'd be really cool. Thanks. But those things will kick your ass, man. Oh, they're, um, bad.
1: They'll they're really
0: bad. They'll tear up some shears. they
1: They'll tear up some shears and handsaws, too.
0: Wow. I was not prepared for that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um so So, um, anyway, I thought that was I'll funny. I'll tell you but... a funny story about that. I went up to Kansas to my buddy's outfit <laughs> several years ago because he needed some help, and I was going to go hang some stands, you know? And um, it was like... Early, earlier in the season but like between their muzzleloader or whatever and and i was in i was right above oklahoma i was in southern kansas doing it and um so i go up there and i'm gonna spend a couple of days going around hanging stands getting things ready for all the hunters that are coming later in october and i'm thinking i'm going about this the same way i normally do and i got all my tools dude i spent like i learned that i learned the blackjack oak thing the hard way i mean it's unbelievable I mean, I, I went through pole saw after pole saw. You, I mean, they literally, those are the toughest trees.
2: We drug a deer out of that last year in southern Oklahoma, and, buddy, I came out looking like I got to fight with Mike Tyson.
1: Oh, they're bad, man. They're bad. Yeah, I mean, you, when, you, when you find a small, like, oak tree, like kind of hedgerow-style oak tree that you can't cut with a gas-powered pole saw, not effectively, that sucker's bad. That's a bad dude.
0: Well, yeah, I, I agree. They were, they were, uh, they were kicking our ass and, 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 you know, finally you figure out how to, you get really good at tree selection towards the end of the trip, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so let me wrap up my portion a little bit. So ultimately, um, the, so we, we, we got there on a Wednesday, I hunted Wednesday morning, David showed up mid morning with the trailer. We scouted Wednesday afternoon. This is what was that, the 11th, I think, November 11th, or 10th, something like that. Um, Thursday morning, we split up. David went somewhere. I went somewhere else on my own. I paddled in by Piro. And um, I I got to the bank at gray light. I didn't want to set up in the dark. As our buddy Kenan Wilson says, it's hard to scout in the dark. Um, and uh, so I, I started scouting right at first light. I hung a stand 15, 20 minutes after daylight broke and found an area that was torn up pretty good with a couple of scrapes. Well, I didn't see anything that morning. And when I climbed up in my tree, um, I was headed, fa- I was uh, facing straight North, but the tree in front of me had a limb that blocked my field of vision from 12 o'clock to three o'clock. And um ten oh six a.m., I get the hell scared out of me at three o'clock at about 32 yards is the biggest deer <laughs> that I've ever laid eyes on in body size and personally, uh, rack as well. And I reach over, I grab my bow, I turn it to like 35 yards. Uh, it's cold that morning. I draw back a turn or a turn, you know, that's my weak side on the right. Um, I, I, I rotated my stand. I draw back. And the biggest problem that I had was I had my neck gaiter on, but I also had this kind of like floppy ear flap hat as well. And I didn't have time to pull those off of my ear. And I tried to find my anchor uh just with my, you know, digging my knuckle under my earlobe. Like we most have, most of us have our anchor point. And this deer is walking away It's now at my four o'clock at about 38 yards. So I shoot not on anchor. I shoot a foot over its back and almost a foot and a half to the left, miss it entirely. I went around the rest of the week saying that it was a 150, like legit. It could have been bigger. I don't know, but I know for a fact the deer was at about 250 pounds. This is one of the biggest deer I've ever seen on hoof in person. Um, I, I never saw that deer again. That afternoon, David thinks that he saw it that evening a few hundred yards north, um, and he can tell that side of his story. But um, ultimately, what ended up happening as far as, like, shooting deer on on my trip, I ended up shooting um, a really cool – I'm going to call him a nine-point. He's really an eight-point with no brow tines and a small, small kicker where a brow tine would be. Um, he looks like some – like, uh, like, a got some muley in him because his G2 has a split, a crab claw on it, on his right side. And it's not like a kicker G2. It's not trash. It is like, a, almost a four, almost a five inch time. Um, and, uh, that deer came, that was the 12th deer of the, of the day or something. And that was a really nice buck that we had not seen yet on stand. He came from behind me at about 70 yards, walked into about twenty twenty three yards and, um, That is the first deer that I've ever shot, um, just like straight on, like, like, like in the chest, come out, you know, back behind the stomach type thing. But, um, he only went about, I don't know, what do you think, David? Like 75 yards max, I guess. Yeah. Um, and that is, uh, um, a bit of a controversial, uh, shot location, I'll tell you this, it is extremely effective, maybe not advisable. There's a pretty small margin of error there. But um, the way that he came in and the way that he stood there and looked at me and I had like pretty much a throat patch to aim for, it, was, uh, it wasn't a, a risk of a shot. So um, got my pass through. The arrow got stuck because <laughs> that's a, a hard shot the long way. Um, but, uh, the arrow didn't make a, a full pass through, but I got penetration in and out both sides. So it was a decent blood trail, but, um, really cool deer. Um, and, uh, never got a shot at that 150 or that, uh, anything bigger than that either. But man, we had, we had a show of deer the whole time, had some snort weeds, had some fighting around me. Um, uh, does being chased, uh, around my stand where I'm in the middle. So just hardcore rut stuff. It was, it was a blast, man. So, look, I've been rambling long enough. I'll let David go with his story and his experiences.
2: Yeah. So, I, I was um, I was a couple hundred yards north of Kyler, pretty much on the same piece, and we saw some of the same deer. But there, what was interesting is that we we both saw a different deer too. The deer that I shot, he never saw. Um, but it, it, we were kind of on the top of a ridge. So, not to give away too much of where we were at, but. Where, where I was hunting, I was about 40 yards off the edge of this lake, uh, and there's a, about a 60-foot bluff straight down to the water. Uh, so there's nothing that can pass outside of bow range behind me, which was also the downwind side. But I was in some short, a little bit shorter, thicker cover than Kyle was. I wasn't in as, as much open woods. It was uh, some, a lot of post oaks. There were some cedars in there and something that I would, uh, I would probably call like a river maple or something. It was a, a smaller tree with a big maple leaf. And that's that's actually the type of tree that I hunted. And um, like he said, these deer, so the, the does would skirt the edge. There there was two old unused power lines that would cut through there. That one would cut diagonal from, from me to Kyler, and the other one cut directly west of me. And the, these does that were coming through here, were using the, they were using the transition. They were using the edge of the woods in that grass field. Well, like Kyler said, when those bucks would hit him, they'd just get dead center of those woods, And they'd run all the way from him to me. Um, My thought behind that is that they're just trying to get downwind to where they know these doves are traveling on this transition to to scent check them. Um, Now, I I did see deer kind of on the other side of this grass field, but the majority of my movement was right there. Um, But yeah, that first afternoon, (coughs) we got up in there and uh, it took me a, a long time to pick a tree, man. I hit ground at probably two two fifteen, and I didn't pick a tree till three three fifteen, and within twenty minutes I had a spike in in bow range, and I was just watching him there. It was cool scenery, you know, on the edge of this big lake and just some some terrain I had never seen before. And I hear and I'm turned around in my tree, looking at this deer, and I hear the deer run up on me, and he he had to get to ten eight ten yards, and he stopped and and. Stayed there for a few seconds, and then he blew out of there like a bat out of hell. And when I turned around, it was it was a really big deer. He was one of the largest bodied deer that I've seen uh, up until that point. And he took off out of there, and I, I don't know how many other deer I saw. We saw a really nice young eight-point that afternoon as well. Uh, and then, man, right at dark, I hear Kyler crank the boat up. And I can see him coming, so I'm getting ready to pack my stuff. It's, it's pretty much dark. And I hear these two deer coming. I can tell their bucks are grunting at each other. I could hear they're about 20, 20 yards apart, grunting back and forth. And I hear one of them raking a tree and this deer cuts down to my south and the moonlight kind of hit him. And if this wasn't the deer that Kyler, Kyler shot at, then there's another really big one in there because this was, this was a very big animal. And uh, he worked his way to the south and then there, that other buck came right by me. And once he made it off to the south, I said, okay, I'm good. I'm going to climb down. This is a good 20, 30 minutes after dark. I, climb, I start climbing down and i 'm brushing some of these branches on the way down while well, I hear this deer coming back, and I get down to my bottom stick, and I can see this deer in the moonlight circling me, trying to get between me and the lake and, and uh, catch my scent, to see what I am so I, I kind of give a little coyote yell, and he just keeps on coming, so I turn my light on and spooked him out of there and got out that's that 's what kind of collar refers to when we you know we we were very strategic about the way we hunted this area up front. We, we kept our scent really close to the water. Uh, but we still, we bordered this area up, and we were still seeing new bucks every day. So we were in, a, in a, just a major travel corridor where we were at. Uh, and we were, like I said, we were able to knock down two bucks out of there, had encounters with other big deer. And uh, then we after, after we each had a tag, we just kind of started hunting different terrain and figuring some stuff out for years to
1: come. It's, uh, um, so, go ahead. So, so w- w-
0: I, I want to add this, cause this is something that, uh, we talked about on the first day of the trip, um, where we stayed, the guy that, uh, had the campground that we uh, stayed at for the week. He, he had lived there for 40 years and <clears throat> he was telling me about the West side of the highway. There's this really big hill. Um, and he said, yeah, you know, my friend owns that property. I hunted it for a long time, but I don't hunt it anymore. He said, all the deer that are on my property and that are along the lake and on the WMA, they come off that hill. And I was on the phone with him when he was telling me this. So I'm zooming out on my Onyx or or my hunt stand. And I'm like, I don't see a hill. I don't see a hill. So I zoom out a little further. I'm like, I don't really see a hill. I zoom out a little further. I'm like, oh, that's, that's the first hill I see. I was like. Chris, the only the only hill that I see over here is like that one. He's like, yeah, that's where they come from. I'm like, Chris, that's four miles away. He's like, yeah, they come, uh, they come from there and they feed on our property and they go back. And I'm like, no way. No, they don't. Like, absolutely not. And, and what we were seeing every day was where we were hunting, we would see new bucks that we really feel were coming from a totally different property, staying in the wood line and feeding funneling through you know the safety of woods coming out of that hill property way out to the west and then come up and then search for does and food on where we were hunting and then go back so every day was in a new um uh, recruit of deer sometimes that were just somewhere along their four mile round trip eight mile round trip journey to the hill and back which is really interesting because I don't believe I don't believe that our deer travel like that in the South. You know, we're, we're look, you know, you look at a Mississippi State University um, deer, uh, deer report and they, they have charts out right now talking about how a deer won't move more than 200 yards from its bedding or a buck won't move more than 200 yards from a, its bedding until the rut. And it'll show you the crepuscular daytime movement and then how it coincides with um, daytime and dark. And and these deer are traveling for four four miles for a snack, you know, yeah. um, which is just just totally wild. It totally changes your mind on uh, how deer will move to go food or go find food or go find uh, does and whatnot. So it was a very eye opening trip um, as far as learning the difference in how deer behave. Those it, it was that was one of my favorite parts was just seeing the difference in, in our deer herds, you know.
1: Yeah that's it's interesting the four miles is is a pretty shocking number that's a long way but I will say that I've heard many times from many different people about in in the Midwest that the deer do move a lot more at specifically during the rut and also coinciding with the crop harvest you know when they because their, their habitat gets shrunk down because not only are the crops gone, but by the time the crops are gone, the leaves are gone too, and the browse is gone, and everything's, oh, even those woodlots, I mean, even the little thicker woodlots are not nearly what we call a thicket. And so sure, yeah. they, they move a lot more, and it's, it's one of the greatest things about hunting, whether you're hunting somebody's private land or you're hunting public land that you've scouted and all that, when you go up there this time of the year, there's really no telling what you might get a, you know, get have an encounter with. I mean, you literally, the neighbor's deer are just as likely to come by you in the middle of the day as any deer that, that you've got on camera or whoever you're hunting with got on camera or whatever. So um, it, it is, they are very different. And, and, and you know, all these little, I know where you guys were hunting, it's a little bit different than, I guess, more more typical Midwestern ag field, uh cow cattle ranch type of landscape where all of these little hedgerows and ditch rows and woodlots they all connect you know you'll have a half a mile of hedgerow that's not 15 yards wide but it connects to a hundred acre block of cedar thicket and then there's Mm -hmm. you know and then it connects and it connects all across the landscape and you know those those people that have lived there and hunted there their whole lives i mean that it's not uncommon for them to have a deer move a long long way Um, on any given day so and it is very different i just don't think our deer do that i know there might be a day or two in the year at a very certain point in the rut that our deer might go a mile but i don't think they do much more than that and i think to your point the studies that we have in the south to go off of like through mississippi state and other places they show that i mean it's 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 factual yeah absolutely so um i i uh i i've I brought my e-bike
0: with me and, um, you know, an e-bike is something I have to like, I have to have self-awareness and laugh at myself about because some people think they're cool. People that have them think they're cool because they are cool. Um, and they're, they are very specific tools that are very helpful if you have a need for one. If you don't, you think that they're ridiculous. I can totally, totally see how you could make fun of an e-bike the same way you can make fun of a saddle it makes sense to me it's not lost to me i think it's hilarious but uh i actually never rode my e-bike in oklahoma because i couldn't get david off of it i told that plays up on that e-bike he loved that damn thing and um i mean he got a flat tire on it and fixed it and, and uh he took that just about everywhere but so, David, tell him the story about like you spotting that that nice buck ten in a doe, and how you like circle around and almost almost pulled off a shot on it with that e bike.
2: Yeah, it was a, it was a close one. So I I found some deer on the edge of this uh this closed park ground this pl- cl- closed campground. Uh, the Corps of engineers shuts off all of their pretty much all of their recreational activities October thirty first up there. So there, nobody could um, rent camper spots or anything in this park. Well, it's all hunting property that butts up to it. And um, I got up in there and found a bunch of deer. I hunted it and had some dogs come and pretty much ruined my hunt. They were running around under the stand, barking and pollering at each other. So I backed out of there pretty early that morning and just said, you know what, I'm going to go ride around this place. The original, My original program was just to really uh, at least spend a day or two glassing from the boat glassing these coves and the lake edges looking for deer because i know a lot of times these deer these the, the locals that are hunting this place or are walking in from the road are going to push these deer the pressure is going to push these deer closer to the lake so that was that was a play i wanted to do i said let me i'll, I'll go see if i can do this from the e-bike well i get down to this boat ramp one day uh, after i don't know 30 minutes of riding around and i mean i didn't even pick the binos up As soon as i looked across the cove i see a doe skirting the lake edge and here comes this big old buck right behind her, and he pushed her up into the timber, so I looked at Onyx, and they were on public, uh, and there was some some people's backyard right on the other side, so it was going to be kind of tough to get in there, but I had one road that I could access this through. Well, when these deer pushed up into the timber, um, a guy comes down off the hill, him and six of his dogs, and he's walking around this place squirrel hunting, so I circled a three-mile block around him and dropped in on him on the e-bike. I ditched the e-bike, and snuck into the timber and waited there for a couple of minutes. I was texting Kyler and Hunter and them telling them what was going on. And here comes a guy down the, the walking trail with his six dogs. So him and I sit there and have a conversation for, I don't know, 15 minutes. We're talking. I said, look, we, you know, we, we found a, a good buck in here. We're from out of state and uh, we plan on, on hunting in the next couple of days. He said, well, look, I'll just leave y'all, leave y'all be he said, I'll go find me another spot, man. Y'all good luck. Hope you get him uh so i said you know what i'm gonna push about 30 yards further into this into the woods so i can see this draw i'm one draw over from the draw i saw this buck push the doe up and uh i see there's i got a cedar tree at about 30 yards that would be good cover and i start sneaking my way there and i get about 10 yards from this cedar tree and i barely poke my head around and sure enough the doe is right on the other side of that 20 yards on the other side of that cedar tree looking dead at me when she spotted me, she busts out of there and there was another little buck in there with her. He busts out of there and then that bigger buck was right behind him. And I drew down on him, tried hollering at him to get him to stop and couldn't get him to stop. And uh, So they, they go off and I kind of make a game plan. Well, He was probably a 125 inch 8 point good deer, but I, I was I already had a tag burned and I, I wanted to try to find something a little better and uh, see some different habitat in there. So uh, we set up Another guy that was with us in there, and he actually saw him the next morning, but a little bit further north. He's, he was acting like a herd bull in there, man. He was uh, chasing off all the other bucks around there, and he had six does pinned up in there. And he'd circle. He'd, he'd drop in from upwind of them, circle downwind, and just push them north, back up into this cove where, where nothing else could could get around them. Was, that was pretty cool watching or hearing about that uh, and then seeing what, what he did when I was on him.
1: Well, I, I I I I told Kyler um well, I guess a couple of weeks ago when when you started making this plan. I've hunted I've hunted I guess it would be west, maybe slightly northwest of where you guys were and it's it's to it's it's, it's really it's it's midwest, but it's it's a, a very different habitat geography-wise. It's a very different version of the Midwest. But the the activity I experienced when I've hunted there is very similar to the kind of activity that you see hunting in the Midwest. And it's I don't know, I, I, I'm a I'm a big fan of it. I'm I'm very intrigued by y'all's hunt. It makes me want to go back and hunt. I I've hunted southern Oklahoma as well. It's one of the best places I've ever hunted in my life. Now it was a really big, heavily managed private ranch, but it looked a lot more like I don't even know. It was it was a little bit more like Texas as far as open but te- imagine Texas with some blackjack hardwood forest.
2: Yeah, so they call they call that the cross timbers region. That's okay. kind of kind of where your your timber transitions to prairie. There's there's just a bunch of different habitat in there.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. That that area is crazy, but but that northern Oklahoma, it's a little bit hilly. Um I, I, you know, the a lot of the grassland stuff like you're talking about with the blackjack forest and and it's kind of, I always thought it was kind of neat myself hunting that in in some of those big blocks of of oak forest those blackjacks are are unique and they're all they all look exactly the same like that it, there's there's for where I hunted anyway I mean you would see, it was it was kind of weird it was kind of almost like looking at a you'd look down through there and and it would it would look like Kind of a pattern, uh, almost a, a digital type of pattern, because they were all so similar and also so much the same. Everything's the same color. There's like four colors, period. There's like four different shades of tan and and uh and brown. You know, because they all turn that brown color at the same time. That's it's really cool. Is it? Is it do you guys plan on going back? Yeah,
2: absolutely. I'm I'm pro- I'm going to put in for McAllister next year. Uh, if I don't draw for McAllister, then I'm more than likely going to this place for a few days.
1: Is this the place you're going to go again, Kyler? Yeah. Um, we When we left,
0: uh, we actually left a day early because the uh, the weather heated up. We were supposed to come back on Wednesday the 17th. We left on Tuesday the 16th because it was going to be so hot on Wednesday. and And we... When I said, hey, I think I might go early, David like cut me off. He's like, I'm glad you said that because I want to go home there early too, but I didn't want to cut your trip short. We, felt, we feel like we left that place on a high, even though we didn't quote-unquote tag out. We left that place on a positive, and we both felt as if if we hunted it on that Wednesday in the heat, that it would have just pissed us off, yeah. and we would have like pulled the trip down. Um, I, I plan on going back, but it's contingent on a few things. Um, I also want to put in for McAllister, which we talked about that with, um, Dr. Steven from Auburn who used to work there. That's that place in Oklahoma, the ammunitions plant that has just gargantuan deer walking around. Um, and I want to put in for McAllister. If I get drawn from McAllister, that's only a two and a half day hunt, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, I'll probably either tack depending on the dates I'll tack on a week before or after that trip. Um, If I don't get drawn for McAllister, I'm also going to put in for Kansas for the first time. If I get drawn for Kansas, then I probably won't go to Oklahoma. Um, And uh, I'll probably just take those dates and do something in Kansas or, or figure that out then. But um, if I don't get drawn for Kansas, uh, and I don't get drawn for um, McAllister, then I'll, I'll probably do the same program or, or a very similar program on a, a neighboring property or something close by there because it was, I mean, we had, a, we had a great time. It was a great, great trip, great area.
1: It's almost November, and I cannot wait to head up to southeast Kansas and chase big bucks at 180 Outdoors. You've heard me talk all about them. Hunt180.com, your southeast Kansas connection. And if you're in the market to own your own property, lease your own property, a fully guided hunt, a semi-guided hunt, whitetails, turkeys, waterfowl, these guys do it all, hunt180.com. Hey, you heard us mention they're doing a late season split waterfowl hunt in January. There's still a few spots remaining. And if you're looking for some of the best spring turkey hunting, check them out. You will not be disappointed. And some of the best whitetail ground you can find, lease, own, Fully guided, semi-guided, your Southeast Kansas connection, hunt180.com. Freebird Coffee is a Louisiana-based small business, and it's veteran-owned and operated by three lifelong friends that love the great outdoors as much as they love great coffee. All three guys are big hunters and outdoorsmen and part of the Louisiana bowhunter community, with one of them still serving our country as active-duty military. They specialize in roasting small-batch, 100% organic, single-origin, Rainforest Alliance-certified coffee. Their coffee is a small-batch roasted, so it doesn't sit on the shelves for months like many of the big-bag coffees. This guarantees its freshness and gives it a taste that separates it from the rest. Freebird offers three different roasts, a medium roast, a French roast, and a high-caffeine roast, all in unique, eye-catching, outdoor-branded packaging, Freebird Coffee Company also offers a line of apparel and merchandise, and you can check them out at FreebirdCoffee.com. Currently, Freebird Coffee is distributed online only. However, they're looking to get into stores, and expand expand their presence. So if you own a store or you know someone who has a store and would like to carry Freebird Coffee, reach out and get in touch with them. I can tell you my wife and I are both big coffee drinkers, and we brewed a pot of the French roast recently, and I was very impressed. So check them out online at FreebirdCoffeeCompany.com and follow them on Instagram at FreebirdCoffeeCO and use the discount code FREEDOM for 10% off your purchase. Freebird Coffee, the best damn coffee in the world.
0: All right, so we want to, we want to hear your stories.
1: Yeah, I'm. I I had I had a banner trip. I guess you would call. It. They just yeah, don't you're happen. really lucky. They just really. I'm very lucky. They just don't happen <laughs> like this very often. So, I, I I went to Missouri first, and then after I hunted Missouri, I, I went down to Kansas. And so my Missouri trip, and and it has been this way for a number of years. I have a friend of mine that's a a very big waterfowl outfitter in northwest Missouri and he's got a bunch of family land and he sells a handful of deer hunts, but he's not like a a serious deer guide, you know. Uh he'll sell a handful of deer hunts every year and he always after he's done he'll he'll guide a few hunts, um and then he'll let me hunt on his his family's property there. And so I had planned a trip to go hunt with one eighty outdoors. You hear, you know, I did the podcast with matt uh, earlier this week and they advertised with us here on the podcast stuff and they've been friends of mine i've done some work for them and and hunted with them for a long time so i had that trip planned i decided i went up to missouri in september to try to hunt early season and i didn't fill my tag my archery tag so i had a tag in my pocket i said we're gonna go to missouri for a couple days before our kansas trip and i had a plan so there's one farm in this uh they're all right there together but they're separate and they're not they don't all touch. There's one farm specifically that I hunt a lot. I really like it and the backside of it borders a farm that is owned and hunted by a very popular I won't mention the name but a very popular outdoor television media group that I'm sure everybody listening to this has watched at some point or another. So it's really good it's a really good spot and basically the back of this farm borders them and it's a big a big CRP field that's that's on their property and it's kind of one of those things where you don't have to target a certain deer because during the rut there's a quite a few um big shooter bucks that are always in the area and there's even more typically during the rut because it's kind of uniquely situated for the midwest it's kind of a large area of CRP and hardwoods that's not quite as fragmented by ag that you typically get in that part of the world. So it's it's actually a holding capacity of more deer than a lot of areas up there that are much more fragmented with corn and beans and crop rotation. So my plan last year I hunted up there and uh that's it Harris Outfitters is is the name of the outfit but but, but my friend Tyson Harris that owns it um he's got a stand back there on this back ridge on the back of the property and i always hunt it and last year i hunted it and we saw a lot of deer and i never got a shot at a deer and i I kept telling my cameraman we're coming back next year and we're bringing our mobile sets and we're moving we're hunting in this same area but we're moving up uh not very far i actually rattled up two different shooters back there last year and they came from they cut the corner of that crp field and got on top of the ridge, and they could see down in there where we were hunting, and there, they couldn't see a deer, so they never came close enough. I said, we're moving up this ridge where we can get a shot at the deer that they're all cutting that corner. So we got up there the same time as you guys. We got up there on Wednesday, and that big front was coming through. So we were so much further north, we actually got a lot of the bad weather. And I had it in my mind, I was only there for three days, and I said, I'm going to go in there on the first day, and we're going to get our set hung and we'll just kind of judge the wind and see what happens. And maybe we'll hunt a little while. Maybe we'll get in and get out. Because the next couple of days, the wind was going to be perfect and all that. And I was we'll already have our stuff hung. And we can go in there and, and, and make two full days. And I, I felt good about an opportunity with that. So we go in there on Wednesday, middle of the day. We go in there at like 11 o'clock, 1130. We find the tree. We kinda, I kind of had it in my mind, a couple of different trees that I had checked out from the year before. We get in there. We start getting up a tree. So the first thing that happens is I go up the tree, and I'm on my fourth. Uh, so I got Hawk Helium sticks. I got the four pack of sticks. I have cable laders on three of them, and I have an XOP uh, portable mobile lock-on setup. I get up the tree, and I'm on my fourth stick. So you can imagine I'm you know, pushing around 20 feet, and I fall. Like the stick, I didn't set the stick right, and it comes out from underneath me. And I fell about three feet, and I was on, I don't know what kind of tree it is, but it's that tree that's got the huge jaggedy bark on it, like the, the kind that'll hurt you. And like sandpaper bark, I guess. And cut myself all up, tore my shirt. It was a mess. And so I gathered myself, I get myself, and I'm, I'm telling this for a very specific reason. This is a 10, 15-minute delay of a debacle. I finally get my stand set. And I get up in the stand and I'm pulling myself up and my cameraman is coming up the ladder and he's going to be in a saddle up there with me filming. And he's halfway up the ladder and I'm turned around facing the tree with my backpack sitting on the seat of the stand and I'm kind of gathering my stuff. I had just pulled my bow up and I got my bow hung up and I see a deer coming behind us. And when I say I see a deer coming, he's 50 yards walking straight to us and I immediately was like, that doesn't look like a bad deer. I'm not sure if it's a a deer that's big enough that I'm going to shoot, but it's definitely not small. And um, here he comes, and I tell him, like, you know, freeze, be still. And so he's looking back there, and I'm turning around looking that way. And at this time, it's warm. The wind's blowing out of the south, but it's not the wind. It's kind of like the calm before the storm. There's not much wind. It's kind of quiet. And this deer is slowly making his way up the ridge towards us. And now he's probably 30 yards away. And I hear something behind me running in the edge of the CRP. And I said, I said what, was, you know, what was that? And I turned around, and there's a buck coming out of the CRP cutting that corner. And he's a pretty good deer too. Now, I don't think he was quite big enough for what I was going to shoot. I mean, he was a nice buck. Don't get me wrong. He's a buck I would have shot in a lot of places. But I knew there were bigger deer in, the, in specifically where I'm hunting he comes through there, and I, I couldn't have, I never really even figured out what he was. He had an interesting looking rack, and he was a pretty good deer, like probably 120s, maybe pushing 130. And I'm like, dang it, you know, and I'm trying to like, do I get my bow ready? I don't have a cameraman. He's hanging on the side of the tree at about 10 feet with his cell phone out trying to film all this. And here comes another deer, and it's a giant, and it's about 50 yards, and it's walking straight to me. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I start trying to get my bow ready, and I'm trying to decide. I mean, we're trying to film, and we're trying to do all this. And I'm, do I shoot this deer? I mean, this is going to be a cluster, right, you know? So the deer is coming after the second deer that came through. He's he's coming after him to, like, run him off. And I we never saw a doe, but neither one of them even know that the other buck is there because he's behind us down the ridge. So he comes through there grunting and... And runs the other deer off, and I got my arrow knocked, and I got my release on my bow, and I'm asking the cameraman who's hanging on the side of the tree below me, how far you think he is, because I have no way to to range him or anything. And he's, I think he's at 30 yards. And I was just about to draw, and he took off to the left, chasing that other buck. And he was big, and a matter of fact, he was he was the deer that that I ended up shooting. I'm 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 99.999% positive. Nice, right. very nice. So. We get in the stand, we get everything set, and I, I'm like, man, this just doesn't feel right. Something doesn't feel right, and then I, I, as I'm having these thoughts, it starts thundering and lightning, and I'm, look, we're, we are a solid 15-minute walk across a, a major ravine, creek, crawl. I mean, there's no road system or anything. We are way the heck back there. And it starts thundering and lightning, and we're looking at each other like, what do we do? The wind's really not we don't need to be hunting honestly, cause the wind's blowing the wrong way for us to be messing the spot up and it's fixing the rain. So we start trying to get out of the stand. And by the time we got out of the stand and started crossing the creek, the big ravine, and back up the other side, and then we had to walk a thousand yards across the bean field, it's absolutely storming, and there's like quarter size hail falling. And lightning popping everywhere. It was a mess. It was a disaster. And that's at like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And we get all the way out of there. We get to the truck. So just to paint the picture for you, now all of our stuff is soaking wet, and we've only hunted an hour. And it's the first day. And I'm like, man, this sucks. You know, we go back to camp, and it just rains all all afternoon, all evening, all night. And I'm talking about like gully washing, just storming hail. But the temperature drops, like, major. So we go in there the next morning, and we had a really slow day. Honestly, I spent most of the day trying to decide. We set daylight to dark, and I was trying to decide if this storm system was so bad that it just threw the deer all off. We weren't seeing anything. I mean, we saw one small uh, or two small bucks and a couple little does, and they weren't really doing anything. They were just kind of on their feet in the morning time walking by. It wasn't anything going on. And then... I mean, there's not a lot to the story other than I had this plan from last year, and, and I, I, I was determined I was going to do it until I had to leave. And at 4.30, this deer pops out of the CRP, and he's walking straight to me. And there's a big washout coming off that CRP field that that, that uh, kind of snakes its way down to the big ravine that we crossed. And it's to my right and the corner of the CRP field's kind of to my left. The, the, the ravine's kind of at my 3 o'clock and the corner of the CRP is in front of me and then over to, like, my 10 o'clock. So kind of in that direction. And he cuts the corner just like he's supposed to, exactly like it was supposed to happen. And he he there's some stuff in the way as I'm drawing. And when he come clear of that, his front feet were going down in that washout. He was fixing to go down in that washout, and there's a maiden trail that they, they take that washout down across the creek and go up to the bean fields. And so I had to kind of hurry, and I shot him. And I hit him mid body. I mean, a lot of you will probably see I posted something on Louisiana Bowhunter Community. I hit him hard. I knew I hit him hard. I knew the arrow buried very deep. Didn't go. It went through him, but it didn't. It didn't pass through. And he just. I mean, all in an, an um, immediately. I shot him, and he immediately just disappeared. I mean, he went straight down in a huge washout. And I didn't know what happened. And I'm like, well. I kind of thought I had a quarter and angle, but after looking at the footage, I really didn't. He was pretty much mostly broadside, so I shot him straight through the middle of his rib cage. Perfect up and down, but a little further back than what you want. So we waited a bit, got down. I mean, I think anybody, anybody in this situation would have done what I did. All I did was get down and sneak, like literally sneak 20 yards over there to look down in the ravine because... For all, I I knew he didn't come out of the ravine right there by me or straight on the other side of it. He either had to go down it or he was laying dead at the bottom of it, you know. And it had been probably 30 minutes. I slipped over there, and when I got over to the edge of the ravine, I saw him on the other side of the ravine down, further down from where I couldn't have seen him come out. And he was just barely walking. And I don't know if I got him up or he just happened to be down there when I got there. I don't know but he kind of just walked about 10 yards and disappeared and I just left came back the next morning he was laying right there where I left. Well, basically within 10 yards of where I last saw him he was laying and he had been dead all night it was a I got lung liver and a little bit of gut uh that reaper just cut so big but uh, he was 155 inch 10 point and My biggest deer to date, not my highest scoring deer, but the biggest frame deer. I've got a deer that scores higher than that, but he scores higher than that because he's got a bunch of, he's got a second main beam and a bunch of, you know, uh, unusual, non-typical kind of points that ran his score up, but this deer, frame-wise, largest deer I've ever shot, and uh, he he was huge, man. I've killed several big deer over 300 pounds, and he's one of them. And just, I mean, I don't know, just everything I planned, December of 2020, it all happened on the first sit. Now, it took me all day, but it happened at 4.30 on the first sit. And um, just just really awesome. I mean, I, you know, I, I had somebody there hunting with me, and he hunted the next day and had a lot of good encounters. The deer really started rutting hard with that front coming through. But, uh, that, you know, it was just uh, the deer wasn't chasing a doe. He wasn't following a doe i think he just got up before dark and went on a cruise and he was just going cruising you know just going looking for does heading over to check that bean field and that kind of thing so um uh, that was a special hunt because it was a plan that kind of came together you know i didn't know what deer was in there but i knew there would be some big bucks in there and and so that was really cool but then i got to leave and go to kansas and so <laughs> So, uh, you know, I spent the next day getting the deer caped out. I had a local taxidermist cape him off the skull for me because I'm not comfortable doing that part of it and uh, getting him all prepped so I could travel with him and get him to the taxidermist. And, and so we head down to Kansas and we get there on Saturday um, midday and we, we hunted that afternoon and I saw one really big buck a long way off. Actually, is a big open prairie kind of farm uh that 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 really just an old cattle farm that's got a bean field on one side and some CRP in the middle of it and there were two stands and I chose to hunt the stand up on top by a pond and I watched a really big buck walk right past the other stand down down in the bottom um through my binoculars but we didn't have a lot of action and you know one thing that was crazy to me is usually when you get a front that big in the midwest it lasts for 2 or 3 days you know you get that cold weather and in this case, it didn't. It blew through on Friday and Saturday, and then on Monday, it started warming back up. And uh, so while we were there, we had these major changes in wind direction. So typically when I go anywhere in the Midwest, I usually try to pick a spot, and I really – I, really, I kind of live by the theory of that time of the year in the rut – I want to pick an area where I know there's a big deer and I'm going to wait him out because eventually he's going to follow a doe or he's going to cruise through. Eventually he's going to be there. I try not to bounce around too much because I feel like I'm kind of throwing darts doing that. And if I know I'm in the right spot, it's just a matter of time due to the way everything lays out. But I wasn't able to do that. So I had to move to another farm. I sat all day on Sunday and it was interesting that you mentioned the, that your deer, you felt like he almost like he had some mule deer in him, you know? Um, I passed a yep. deer on Sunday that was the mule deeriest whitetail I've ever seen in my life. And I'm, I'm still kind of kicking myself for passing this deer. And I didn't really, it's kind of a weird thing where it wasn't like I saw him coming and I just said, Oh, I'm not going to shoot him. I actually had my bow in my hand and I was communicating with the cameraman about where we were going to shoot him on camera the whole time. And when he got to that spot, I just paused and I was, and I asked him, I was like, I think I ought to shoot that deer. And, and, and the reason was he was four years old. He wasn't, It wasn't an old deer. He wasn't a huge old deer, but he had big horns. He had, basically he looked like a mule deer. He had two big, he was a big mainframe four point, but not a whitetail four point, a mule deer four point. If you know what Mm -hmm. I'm talking about, like huge mule deer forks with two little brow tines and a kicker and a split on the end of one side. So he was a giant seven point. I mean, he was as big as the deer I ended up killing in Kansas as far as his frame and all that but just a totally unique rack and i really just debated it too long and then i didn't have a good shot that i was comfortable with so i let him walk off and i ended up watching a lot of cool rut activity on that hunt i was in a really cool spot but we had north wind all day well then monday comes and now we're turning around blowing south again and uh southwest actually so i had to go to another spot and uh so I go in there on Monday morning and um I'm going into a spot at 180 and they've got trail cameras on there and they've got a couple of really big deer like Bo- potentially Boone and Crockett type of score 170 180 inch deer two of them on this farm. And um I, as we're walking in we 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 get about 100 yards from our stand and there is an absolute giant we're a little bit late so I can really kind of see it's kind of like that gray light time there's a giant deer standing right he's within 100 yards of the stand we're going to hunt and he's standing within 20 yards of a ladder stand that we were walking past to go to another stand and he's back there with a doe and he's he was just really big i I don't know exactly everything about him but he was really big and we blew those deer out we blew some other deer out because we had to walk across cut cornfield and i thought man this is just this sucks this is my last good morning in kansas the weather's gonna be 70 degrees this afternoon and 70 degrees tomorrow and I've blown so many deer, and I had already made the decision. The next decent, good, mature buck I saw I was going to shoot it because you just don't get the opportunity to to fill two tags in a five-day span like that, you know. So everything settled down about 9 o'clock. I had a really pretty, young, nine-point, locked down with a doe really hard, come in, we watched a show, and then I was actually on Instagram doing an Instagram Live thing for Scree. And while I'm on my phone doing this Instagram Live thing, this this doe just takes us by surprise and I look down and she's 15 yards walking straight to me and so I, I get off the phone and she walks past us and she's acting awfully funny and I told Colin at the time I said that doe's in heat like there's something that's a big mature doe all by herself and just the way she was acting she's in heat and um five minutes later I had a little small buck come along and then I looked over on the corner of the cornfield and I saw a really tall rack buck coming and ended up being the deer I shot. He he was following her, come out of the cornfield, came in the woods, and I shot him at five yards. He ran 50, and I watched him die. And he nice. was a big, tall, eight, he was a nine-point actually, big, tall, nine-point, main beams curled all the way around. They're like about an inch from touching in the front. Really cool buck. Not Not my biggest and certainly not anything close to the biggest deer on that farm, but it's just something, you know, when a plan comes together like that, and that stands in the right spot, and that deer just gives you that kind of opportunity. You, you just, you don't, those don't come along often enough, and I wasn't, you know, the weather turning 70 degrees the next day on my last day, I just, I wasn't going home with a tag in my pocket. So, um, all together, 280 inches of horn in four days, and uh just very uh, lucky or blessed or fortunate or all those things, you know. Um
0: Yeah, very lucky of you.
1: <laughs> you know the other what? thing? But,
0: what are, what is that about? Is somebody's been telling you you're lucky lately is that why you're being sarcastic about that?
1: I plead the fifth. Um, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> no, nah, gotcha. I I mean, yeah, yeah, a little bit. It's it's I'm I'm really just being tongue in cheek. I'm kind of being funny. It, is, it look, there I'll say I'll say 100% my uh, we ask this question on the podcast all the time. How much, you know, we we I say all the time. We've asked it a lot. How much do you attribute your luck? There's some luck involved in everything that you do you know when it comes to deer hunting there's you can do everything right and you still there's some fortune good fortune slash luck involved in 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 it all coming together for you in the end i'll say that i'm very proud of the fact that i've been planning what happened on thursday in missouri i've been planning that for over a year and it happened almost exactly Uh, If you had to make me bet, I would have expected it to happen that morning because I thought the conditions were perfect, and I sat there all day, and it didn't happen until 430, but nevertheless, it happened, and uh, if I had not taken my stand, if I had not done what I did, I would not have killed that deer. I couldn't have killed, even though he was within bow range, I couldn't have killed him out of that other set, and so, you know, I felt like I had to make a tough shot on that deal, too, just given the scenario, and I, I feel pretty proud of that situation, but you know, I say on the other one. I mean, it, there's a lot of luck. You know, I didn't hang that stand. I didn't scout that spot. Somebody sent me there, told me it was a good spot. I sat there. The deer gave me an opportunity, and I, you know, I, I made the shot, executed the shot. But, but yeah, I, I did make a few lucky comments on Facebook, just because, just mostly just being funny. I don't take any of that stuff seriously, because I am, I'm if lucky or fortunate, however you want to put it, and I'm very well aware. And I want, I said this to Levi uh because if you guys that listen to the podcast will remember we had this conversation last year about luck and about how cyclical luck can be because Levi had a fantastic year last year and I had a and you had a fantastic year last year and I had a horrible season last year I mean I did kill a couple of deer but I it was a lot of uh less than desirable hunts in between do you remember this conversation Kyler? Sure uh, yeah of course I do, yeah. And Levi joked with me a lot about it. He's like, you better, you know, we kind of, you better get ready. You know, I'd joke with him, you better get ready. Next year's going to suck. And he would joke with me and be like, you better get ready to shoot because next year's going to be good. And my son killed his first deer, a, an absolute great East Feliciana Parish deer, with his bow, and then I go up there and kill two bucks. And basically, I only hunted three days, really, um, overall. And, and and so, it's it is interesting how... How, how it, yeah. cyclical things can be.
0: Well, even, uh, you know, I was talking with Ronnie Dugat today and yesterday. Um, Ronnie's going to come up and hunt with me uh, during the rut this year. And we were talking about how, and I've mentioned this on the podcast a few times this season, the places that were my jam up, you know, four, five, six, seven bucks on camera um, spots, their uh, their um, wastelands this year. They got hogs or coyotes or hell, I got one of my best places on public land. I've gotten three people on camera in a three week time period and I ran a camera there for two seasons and never got one person on camera. Um, and not only not only do I have people on camera, but there's no bucks going through there. Like I'm I'm giving up on these spots. And I'm going to have to move. I'm ha- I'm having to like start from zero on some areas, just trying to get an inventory of something worth killing because they aren't where they were last year. Um, which I don't really quite have like sample size to make conclude what that means yet or come to a conclusion on what that means yet. But I, I really think ultimately there's changes that happen in the woods that, humans can't really pick up on maybe it's a difference in browse maybe it's a difference in um, undergrowth maybe there's some outside circumstances that we don't see happen on neighboring properties especially if you're hunting on public that have an impact on your deer's movement but something is legitimately happening where the deer aren't where they were historically for me um and so i'm having to spend uh a lot of my time during the season scouting different spots that are worth spending my time at on a hunt, which I haven't had to do before. And because of that, I don't want to say like I'm behind this year. I killed a doe on public and I killed a a buck with David in Oklahoma, but um, I'm not four deer up right now like I was this time last year, you know? Um, So you're right. It is kind of cyclical. Um David do you, do you experience that on any of the places that you hunt have you, you had anything that kind of parallels
2: that Absolutely I've had that discussion with people in the past so I, I hunt some private land in southern Arkansas as well on the Arkansas Louisiana state line and um it, it's all big timber blocks down there leased by from uh, timber companies and stuff and uh, my my brother-in-law in particular him and I have discussed that how it just seems it's it cycles it's very cyclical, you know. One, one year this certain property will be sur- super hot, and you know, two years down the road, you can't find a buck on it.
1: Yeah. Well, for me, the puzzling thing that it, it seems pretty—I f- hate to use the word factual because that's really not true. Because it's not the whole thing is illogical, but it makes sense for me that nature can be cyclical. But there is a certain trend i think a trend is a there's there's trend there's obvious trends about how a hunt a hunter's good fortune and luck tends to, to work the same way you know mm-hmm. i've had seasons where there i knew exact like i had plenty of deer to hunt like my scouting was paying off i was finding deer and i was seeing deer but i wasn't seeing the deer or i wasn't getting a shot and i just was struggling to have you know, the ultimate success. And then you turn around and you have another season where it's like, I'm if I don't stop shooting deer, I'm going to run out of tags before the season's over.
2: Yeah, I do so, no wrong.
1: You know, it's like everywhere I go, the deer that I'm after just shows up and gives me a, 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 a great opportunity. And, and I, I know like years like last year where I really, I had a, a great hunt in Kansas in the end of October. And then I came home and I hunted for two months and I just couldn't get a shot at a deer. And I, mm-hmm. and I thought like, how come I can't mix in some of these good years with these bad years? It just, I don't know what the rest of the season holds for me, but I can like relate it to like playing sports where, you know, when if you play a sport and you're in season, whether it's, you know, baseball or, or maybe it's even your golf game or whatever. There's, you go through periods of time where you're like, you can't wait to go play because you know, you're, you're on, you know, Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've almost feel that way. Like, I'm like, I, this is going to sound crazy, but we've had this little rain come through here in Louisiana today. We're recording this on Thursday, the the 18th, and it's kind of cold. And I was like, I ought to go hunt tomorrow morning. It's going to be a good morning. I and mean, then I'm like, I don't want to shoot a deer yet. Like, I just shot two, and I don't want to shoot one. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like if I go get in a stand, a deer's going to commit suicide. <laughs> yeah, it-
0: that's how I felt last year. I was man. When you're hot, you're hot. Yeah. You
2: know.
1: Well, um,
0: when you're that
2: hot and you got that feeling, you get Kyler's little decoy and just take off walking, see what happens.
1: Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> I heard that story. I get you. You should probably give us that little brief. We're running low on time, but we've we've got to squeeze that in. You need to tell a little bit about that story. So, so
0: well, go ahead, Kyler. Well, so we. <laughs> this is on Tuesday. Uh, I'm not going to tell us the whole story, but uh I hunted I hunted in the woods on Tuesday morning. Um and Hunter hunted in the woods on Tuesday morning and David went uh on the E bike no, you just went walking and he went uh on into this yeah, part R of the booger. W- Yeah, he went booger in is what he calls. He he went like a uh, meat taster f um uh, hunting scouting trip. He saw a ton of deer in the morning. And so when I climbed out of the sand, I, I called him and I was like, Hey, I'm coming. <laughs> I'm coming to F some stuff up with you this afternoon. Um, we're going to ruin this spot and then we're going to leave. And, uh, and so we went boogering and, um, what well, I think we left camp at 1 p.m. And from one o'clock until literally dark, we walked and walked and walked, um, rattling. Um, putting decoys out, trying to pull deer out of willow thickets, out of um, milo fields, out of CRP, just trying to get something to get pissed off and, and come out of this. Um, but uh, the, I'm going to let David finish the story and tell the details, but he had an ultimate predator decoy on his bow, like the shoot through decoy. Um, and then... I was carrying around a Montana decoy, a small buck, which is just like a silhouette of a, you know, a, a picture of a buck pretty much. But uh, David <laughs> tell the story um, about how I set up, <laughs> I set up a couple of feet away from two deer that wanted to kick my ass. So go ahead. So
2: I'll set, I'll kind of set the stage for this. This area, like many of the lakes, I'm not giving off anything by saying this here, but like many of the lakes up north, Ducks unlimited has done a lot of habitat improvement for waterfowl um, and in this particular place their their pumps have been broken for two years and they haven't fixed them yet so their entire i think it's i don't know like five thousand acres of duck habitat waterfowl or water uh, yeah waterfowl development units uh, they have not gotten water in the last two years so it's all dry it's cockle burrows Milo um, just some young willows just nasty thick stuff and that morning, I just went walking, and um, from sun up to 9 o'clock, I, I lost count at 30 deer that I spotted out in this stuff, and one of them being a buck and watched him chase a doe, had him come pretty close and just not a shooter. Uh, so that afternoon, Collar and I take off, and I said, you know, I saw a lot of deer come out of these willows in the middle of this little, this little pond, and so we drop off the levee, and we get, that, we get the wind right, and we get down in there, and the first spot we set up in this Kyler pushes way up against some some tall brush that was like five yards from the willows and i kind of went across this little cut uh and and i was sitting in some uh it was it's something that resembles a wax myrtle back here i don't know what kind of tree it is over there but i'm sitting in there i mean this stuff's all tore up with rubs and uh there's big buck tracks all over in the stuff and uh so i told i kind of signaled to Kyler, hey I'm, I'm ready you can go ahead and start calling well he puts his bow down and I, dude, he hits these horns together one time, and the brush just absolutely explodes on the side of him. And I see him freak out. He turns, and uh, I started grunting and start wheezing and hollering. There was apparently a buck bedded with a doe right there, and we got within, I don't know, what you say, Connor? We had to walk up within 10 yards of him. 10 yards, he yeah.
0: It was so thick. It was so thick that this buck got up, and, uh, like, you could hear him get off the ground. Like yeah. That, well, not you, I. I could hear him get off the ground, stand up, and then charge towards me in the brush. And then he got about three to five yards from me, which is like 10 feet, right? 15 feet. And it was so thick there that I never saw it. I never saw him. Um, but he was right there. And, like, you, you could, I could feel this deer's presence even though I never saw him because it was thick, thick CRP buck brush stuff. And I rattled some more and I kind of scraped the ground with the horns and made it, seem you to know, try to cause a scene. And, um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It scared the absolute shit out of me. It <laughs> was, it, it was so unexpected because we had set up trying to pull something out of this, like, 100 foot long strip of small willows like i'm talking like willow trees that are four or five inches in diameter and this section of willows that is like literally 10 yards by 10 yards off to the side is where these deer were and um and i just happened to like push up against it out of sight of the other willows trying to you know create a a scene with it rattling antlers and this thing stood up to kick my ass and i was like oh my god have y'all ever seen this is from a long time ago i really think it's from the 90s have y'all ever seen that video of the deer hunter that covered himself in doe estrus and a deer literally kicked his ass like yeah um, yeah you know what I'm talking? I think it's, you think the guy's like actually wearing like vietnam era fatigue camouflage right and that's the scene that I had in my head as this was happening. Like this deer is going to come through the brush, like antlers down ready to just like kick me and impale me because I just woke him up or ruined his sexy time with his, with his doe. Right. And it was, I'm not going to say terrifying, but it was so, it, it was like an eruption uh, that just came down. It was wild. And then, you know, this whole, like, while this is happening, the, the whole thing, like, not particularly that, but, like, spending that afternoon, I, I, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, no wonder the meat chasers, like, Thomas and Warren go up to Kansas and just spend a solid week doing this, right? From sunup to sundown, just boogering areas and moving on. Um, and, uh, I, I mean, it was fun. We didn't end up shooting anything on that trip on that afternoon, but we had a blast and we ended um <laughs> we ended the day in the in this big green field the gigantic green field i mean uh, this thing legitimately I, I mean i'm not exaggerating this green field has to be a mile from end to end it's
2: it, it 400 acres
0: humongous and um We, we, we had a South wind. We walked in from the North. We were going to set up on the edge of the buck brush that lined the whole place. And like, I set up the decoy. I walked back. David's kind of like tucking into a little brush area where he could get a shot at something. If it came up wanting to check out the decoy. And I'm like, Hey, I think there's a log in the field with a whole bunch of brush around it. And he's like, his eyes light up. He's like, wait, there's a log in the middle of the field so that's what we did we like we we, <laughs> we put these decoys up in front of us like we're hiding behind them and we walk out to the middle of this fallen log that i guess ended up there in a flood and had a whole bunch of grass around it and we sat there for the next hour and a half and we saw like nine deer in the field not within shooting range but but close enough to see the decoys and like weren't really bothered that we were there it was it was, it was fun, man. It was a good closeout to the trip. And I'm glad I, in hindsight, I'm glad that we did that, you know, what I call like hood rat stuff with my friends. I'm glad we did that rather than trying to sit out one more still hunt on a hot South wind afternoon, trying to make something happen. The last,
1: you know, the the final countdown
0: before we leave. Um, so it was a good closeout, man. We
1: had a good time. That's one of the funnest things about, to me, cause I've done things like that before, and you can get away with doing that kind of stuff up there during the rut. You know, yeah. the activity that you see, and it, it is, it's, I mean, I'm not saying you can't ever do it down here, but some of the stuff that you can do with calling, and I I mean, I had, I, I got to watch um, in Kansas that, that, the day that I passed the big mule deer looking deer later that afternoon, we were in a little ditch row of timber with, with winter wheat fields all around us in four different directions where they had harvested beans and dropped wheat. And we had a big buck, not, not a huge buck, but a, a nice mature buck, big, you know, uh, definitely a shooter, come out with ch- chasing does in one of those fields. And we had about 30 minutes of light. And so I commenced to calling at him. The woods really just came alive, like those last thirty minutes, and and there were deer coming out in all these different fields around us, and this one big deer, and you know he's out there grunting and chasing does, and then a little buck comes in there and he's snort wheezing and charging at him, and we're watching all this, and I had the opportunity to sit there and just really try. To, I was trying to call him into the woods where I was to check me out to get a shot at him because I definitely would have shot him. He was he was nice. He was bigger than the one I ended up shooting in Kansas. As a matter of fact and um th- but in doing that you know i'm standing there and i decide at one point he, he keeps coming like 50 60 yards towards me and then he has to turn around and run a little small buck off this chasing his doe in the field you know and i just start hammering on the horns and i call two different deer from behind me come running through the woods like i mean just barreling through the woods just you know snot dripping out of their nose just <laughs> raking trees and just i mean and they bu- they all end up in the field with the big deer, and he snort wheezing while I'm rattling, and it's just nuts. I mean, it's just pandemonium going on in every direction for like mm-hmm. 30 minutes, and it's like none of the deer that came close enough during all this pandemonium were shooters, but in the middle of it, I'm looking at a deer that's probably close to 140 inches out there, and every time I call to him, he just charges towards me 30 or 40 yards, just stomping, walking straight to me you know just blowing snot out and snort wheezing at every deer in the field and it's just to get being able to watch that it's just it's it's awesome you know and you can do things like y'all did where you can go into a thicket and actually expect that it might work if i did that in a pine, if i went if you if you came over here and you and i went back here on my property and we tried to rattle up a deer out of one of the pine thickets back here what the hell do you think would happen (laughs)
2: Um, check check this out something something that kind of struck me as as pretty interesting on this trip was uh the first afternoon that we were there collar and i went sit over one of these green fields just to see kind of get an inventory of what was on that end of this wma uh and we had a decent buck come out in the field uh he was with a doe and collar snuck up behind me and he had this 130 inch seven point set of horns that he was rattling with and he started banging these things together real loud. And this deer turned around and tucked tail and ran. Uh, yeah. And besides the one that we kind of snuck up on, we got pretty much no n- nothing out of rattling. However, grunting and snort-weezing was bringing just about every buck that we'd
1: see to the tree. So let me tell you this funny story as we wrap up. Because uh, we laughed. Like, I had to stop myself from laughing out loud in the tree on this trip when this happened so this is the same afternoon that all the pandemonium's happening right so this big deer's out there these two does have been out there for a while and then all of a sudden i see a deer out there running in the field i throw my binoculars up and it's a big buck and he's chasing one of the does and i'm like dang it so i start calling at him and here he comes and i had called up like three or four deer that day i'd see them pop out in the fields and i'm, I'm in this little draw of woods and they can't see in there so you call at them and they all come you know, they, except this one because he was with a doe. So he's coming, but in the middle of him coming, this other buck, comes, smaller buck, comes out in the field, and it, it catches his attention, and he ends up chasing that deer off. And But in the middle of this, so this deer's north of me, okay? He's probably 100 yards to my north, and, and the edge of the woods I'm in is, is in bow range. So the edge of the field's pretty much in bow range, maybe 45 yards from me, and he's out in that field another 50 or 60 so I'm, I decide at one point I'm just going to rattle my ass off and see if it does anything. So I'm rattling really hard, and he's kind of stomping his way towards me, but he keeps getting distracted and running these other deer off. And all of a sudden, the woods behind me just erupt, and here comes this deer barreling through the woods, and he runs right up behind us like 10 yards and stops, and you can almost hear him breathing. And it's like a 3-year-old 8-point that's probably 115 or 120 inches. Not a bad 8-point, but just not, just not a, the kind of mature deer you want to shoot in Kansas. And he's like he's he's like all excited, you know. He's 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 out roaming around, and he hears all this going on. And so he's standing there looking, and this deer's out in the field, and he starts snort wheezing and grunting, chasing a doe. And so he takes off and goes right past us, and he goes out in the field. Well, he immediately goes out in the field, and this big deer just ain't having it. So he goes and chases his butt all around the field and runs him out of the field back in the woods to us. So now here's this deer standing. The, the deer that came, he's now he's back in the woods and he's like 20 yards to my right. And he's standing there like, well, that was a bad idea. You know, I just ran into a bully. And so he's like standing there <laughs> looking around. Well, when he did this, the big deer had come towards me and gotten close to the edge of the field. So he's now he's only like 65 yards from me. And I'm like, Okay, so I snort wheeze at, at the big deer trying to get him to come on in the woods, and it scared the ever-living shit out of this <laughs> deer that had just gotten beaten up and run off. And he takes <laughs> off running the other way, and he runs into another buck that's in the other field to the right. And then he ends up And this deer, this, I, I started laughing at one point I told Kyle, I was like, we have ruined this dude's evening. Like he's like showed up at the party and everybody's picking on him and he just got ran off. (laughs) This is crazy. But yeah, it's, it's so exciting. And we had this episode similar to this last year where we just kind of recapped our rut hunt and go into the Midwest. And I just, I I just kind of wrapped my side of this by saying, obviously uh, I don't expect and nobody should expect to have um, the luck that I had this year. That's exceptional. I've been going for a long time and i really didn't i mean i had some really good hunts and i got to see some deer my buddy that was hunting with me um he he shot a deer that we couldn't find and he kind of messed up on a couple other deer but he actually saw more deer than i did to be i didn't sit in the tree that long because i shot deer um early on in both places and and I, and i had a lot of long hours where i wasn't seeing a lot of deer i just had the right opportunity to present themselves but it's always awesome and i just encourage people like If you love bow hunting, the things you get to see in the Midwest during the rut, you're just not going to see them here, you know, not, not frequently. You might hunt for many years and have one day where you see the kind of stuff you see on the regular if you hit it right up there. So, um, glad y'all had a great hunt. Glad you, you know, you both got to fill a tag and bring a deer home and it it was great. And now I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to, uh, I guess I'm ready to put my nose down and, and try to figure out how to hunt these deer at home now. (laughs)
2: <laughs>
1: Same here, man. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Well, um, yeah.
0: I, I I enjoyed hearing your story, man. Enjoyed the 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 uh the recap. So
1: it was uh it was cool. I'll say this. I, I'll say uh, 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 like my last thing to say about it. The deer that I shot in Kansas on on Monday morning was my thirty first consecutive animal shot dead with a Grim Reaper. 31 consecutive now that's bucks hogs and does and one code but i've shot 31 animals consecutive recoveries with a grim reaper that's all i'm gonna say there you go oh. <laughs> and 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 also um, cool yeah, it's really cool <laughs> uh, uh you can watch you'll be able to watch both of those hunts they're both videoed they'll both be on scree's youtube channel hopefully by this time next week if not sooner so um if you want to kind of watch all that rambling that i just did play out on the screen you can you'll be able to watch those hunts on there on the screen youtube channel sweet so with that being said david thank you for all you're doing for louisiana bowhunter we're glad to have you as a part you're doing great job for us and thanks for putting up with kyler and going hunting with him and you know uh, all that—that that was yeoman's work, and we appreciate my, it.
2: My full-time job is going to these, going to these stores and talking fishing, talking hunting, and I just—I uh, love what I do, and I get to get to play a little bit in between. So, yeah, I'm glad you guys had me on, and look forward to what we can do with the with Louisiana bow hunter in the future, man.
0: Uh, hey, I—I've got one quick thing I want to add that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, so I, uh, <laughs> y'all know, I, I had. A trad bow year a couple of years ago and i've kind of been talking down about it ever since because like it you just kind of kicked my ass i had some success but i wasn't as proficient as i wanted to be so david told me to bring my acadian woods up to the camp uh or up to the uh to oklahoma and in like one hour pretty much got me lined out to in a one hour period of having not really shot my bow in almost two years because i just was over it i'm i think i'm gonna go hunting with it this weekend like i'm i'm lifed out with it right now like i still got some tightening up to do but um i've got a, a a glendale buck at my office with a hay bale behind it and this afternoon i put 20 arrows in a row without missing that target at all in about, I'd say about 15 or 16 of them were, were lethal hits. Um, And that's like, like I said, one hour of working through stuff with him, getting rid of my short draw problem, keeping my head still and coming to full draw and like anchor and, and and not having target panic. Like I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. So I'm going to shoot something with my trad bow again this year. So I'm pumped.
2: Nice. Glad to hear that.
1: Good luck. (laughs)
0: yeah
2: all right now we can wrap it up all right
1: (laughs) hey guys go to louisianabowhunter.com or check out one of the many retail locations that david is keeping us stocked up on pick up your louisiana bowhunter gear wear the brand support the brand send us your pictures thank you all for listening we appreciate all the support we'll talk to you next week